Hello and welcome to The Alternative Path with me, David Robson. This week, I'm really excited to introduce you to two ladies, Julia Johnson and Vicky Lambert. They are both founders and directors of Best for Learning. Vicky, Julia, great to have you on. Um, give us a bit of a, a start by a bit of background about who you are and yeah, how you've got to where you are. Um, okay, hi, um, I'm Vicky. Um, Julia and I have run well, as you say, David co-founded and we run Best for Learning. We started this six years ago. Um, Julia was running interventions with dyslexic children in our school. Um, and we both taught netball as well as a netball club. And we realized that children who were challenged behaviorally, behaviorally and um, with kind of quite chaotic home lives um, in class weren't great. They were challenged, but um, on the netball court that we were teaching them, um, they would turn up for um, training sessions. They would respect us, they'd respect their teammates. So Julia and I, Julia being very creative um, and me the more sporty one, uh, we decided to create a program that would teach social and emotional skills through sport, art and drama. So teaching things like resilience, managing emotions, um, self-esteem, those kind of life skills. Um, we then developed it into teaching the children about their brain and their developing their brain and their behavior through their brain. So we teach them how their thoughts create their feelings that create their actions. So that's it in a kind of nutshell. Yeah, brilliant. So I think sometimes when, when, um, when I was working with, um, I started off working with, because I became fascinated by some children were struggling within a classroom. Um, and started to put little groups of, of intervention run to build up their self-esteem because some of the children that I was sitting with and working alongside um, really were struggling, but they were constantly pulled out of the classes that they were excelling in to be able to catch up on the subjects that they, they really found difficult. So part of the, the intervention was to, to build up their self-confidence um, and to also try and get um, them to find ways of learning that was um, important to them. So finding creative ways of learning. And it came to a time we had quite a lot of children coming and many of those children weren't actually, um, didn't have dyslexic problems but they were held back because they um, were coming to school on um, fired up adrenaline from what was happening in their, in their home lives. Um, and so constantly on this sort of fight and flight. And for many you know, teachers that would appear as behavior, but in actual fact, their brains were so um, running so fast that they couldn't give themselves a chance to learn. And so therefore they took it out you know, in, in, in the classroom. So to be able to take them away from that and to, to calm them down. Um, and that was at a time, I think, when mindfulness was just being brought in, but it was, it was teaching um, children to learn to breathe and to, uh, yes, just to, to, to look at themselves and see to, for us to have a look at their backgrounds, their story, what, what was creating the, the, the energy when they came into school that was stopping them from the learning. So we kind of put all this together into, um, into our research, into what we could do. We just felt that there was a real, a real need um, to, to look at all children and, and see, see what 
what we could provide for them to create a better learning environment. This, um, we, we do feel that um, all, all behaviour is a form of communication and you need to look, you know, as Julia says, at the story behind the behaviour to see, you know, how you can help a child who is finding school a challenge. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, that I feel like that's kind of almost lead into this conversation on everyone I've spoken to so far that absolutely behaviour is communication and I really we do um, some intervention work with uh, mainstream schools and I do I really feel for mainstream schools because they're under so much pressure mm. and you know 99% of people who work in education if not even 100 want to make a real positive impact on, on the young people they work with and you know I, I, I really feel for mainstream settings at times because I know there's I know there's senior leaders out there that really want to make a change but you know it, it's just not as simple as that is it so yeah I think um, I'm finding it becoming a real kind of uh, interesting area about um, sort of behavior and communication and the effects of trauma on on young people and I'm guessing through the pupils you get through your program you you really get into the detail about what's causing that behavior and and uh, dare I say it almost all the time is because of some sort of trauma along their lives um it, it can be when when we first started out I think um both Vicky and I felt that we were on these white horses and we were going to come in and we were going to change the world because <laughs> we were, you know, our aim was to help <coughs> all these children. And of course, life isn't like that. You, you, you are able to, and teachers, I think, will, will know that you, you work with a child and then they go away, they go into their peer groups, they go into their homes, their different backgrounds. Um, and so... What we, what we felt at the time, when, when we first started to research the brain and, and teach the children kind of how their brains were working, um, how their thoughts you know, were creating these, these feelings, um, we understood that every child actually needed what we were teaching. Yes, if, if you were feeling anxious or angry, we were able to to build up those skills, but also any child is going to hit anxiety. Any child is going to be angry, and 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 we don't know what journey um, any child is is going to come across. Um, you know, we couldn't have envisaged COVID, so we wouldn't have known that children were going to be shut away from their friends and um, have to homeschool. Um, and so, what we decided to develop were these building blocks and these life skills, but teach them at an early age. And so to drip feed um, that every child would then be able to, when they hit a wall, when they hit a challenge or something they felt challenged, that they kind of had these skills to as, as backup and to, and to bring in um, rather than waiting until a child is um, feeling over emotional um, or emotionally challenged, you know, or, 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 or in, in difficulties. But if we if we can drip feed through schools, you know, we, we've started with nurseries now that are age three, teaching them, you know, creatively how, how their brains are working. Um, and so that they have, they feel like they've got some control of what they're thinking and what they're feeling. Um, yeah, I think something you, something, something you just touched on there that instantly made me think of something is, 
And like it seems so obvious, doesn't it? To um, if you've got, I don't want, want to compare a, a, a young person to a car, but we all get our cars serviced. We all, you, generally speaking, you get your car serviced. You don't wait for it to break and then get it serviced. So actually, like as human beings, we should, whether you're a child or an adult, and I've, I've opened my eyes to it the last 12, 18 months, that we need to kind of service ourselves a bit more and look after our ourselves. Now, whether that's a, a three-year-old child and preparing them for emotional challenges or a, a 40 or 50 year old adult I think it's really important and I think that's what you were kind of touching on wasn't it about building the blocks and kind of preparing people for things rather than waiting till it goes bang and then thinking right we need to fix that yeah we, we um we oh go on sorry Vic um and also giving children the confidence to realize that they they should make the time for themselves you know it's really important that they're that they that they make sure that they look after themselves and and you know that they make sure that their mental health is is good and they emotionally look after their well-being we it's we teach we, we teach the children that their body is the car to, to have a look mm. as as you touched on the car that their body is the car and the most important part of the car is their engine so their brain is the engine because without our brains our bodies don't work mm. so for us you know what and then we talk with them what would you do to a car to, um, to, to, to your engine, you'd, you'd put oil in it, you'd look after it, you'd surface it. Um, and so then we also talk about how once you've taken care of it, as you're taking care of it, you are the driver of your car. So we keep coming back to them. Are you driving your car? Are you, are you able to drive your car? You know, how's the engine? So for little ones, they can, when, when they've got something that they can visualize, then, then it, you know, gives them something sort of concrete to work on and then you can I get a bit my, creative. I thought my example of a car was going to be a bit of a random one, but it looks we spend a whole an hour's programme on that, that just that thing about the Brilliant. car and looking after it and, you know, comparing it, as Julia says, you know, to our, to our brains and our engines and, you know, and the life is a journey and in your car and the obstacles and, uh, yeah, the children really like it, actually. They like the um, analogy. Yeah, and I I think it's like it's, um, it's relatable, isn't it? Even as a, a young child and probably not knowing a huge amount about cars, it, it just is putting a creative spin on things. So another thing um, you mentioned at the beginning, something I want to touch on is obviously the, the challenges and the changes since sort of March this year with sort of more time at home for some young people how have you kind of noticed the shift in things that, that the kind of stuff that you guys work with since then um, we've found um, that it's been a, a quite a mix some children have absolutely loved being at home um and love spending time with their their families um and being in the home environment and other children have just been desperate to get back to school um either you know because home life is so chaotic or you know they're missing their friends so there seems to be quite a a mixture of there doesn't seem to be one main thing that children have um, come back with and um, it seems to be quite a mixture of the the three really. I think anxiety has picked up um, I know that working uh, or talking to quite a few parents and we have done some um, zooms on separation anxiety because having been homeschooled and spent so long at home going back in September to a slightly different environment um, created quite a lot of 
separation anxiety and also that fear of kind of not knowing you know children are sponges and mm -hmm. if you're having a conversation with your partner about something they they will soak that up and and it becomes quite catastrophic thoughts in the in their heads something tiny can can build um so there has there has been some of that there, but as you know vicky said there's been a lot of children that have really enjoyed it mm. i would say there has been some who um you know have difficulties or, or struggle especially with dyslexia um who are finding that going at their own speed at home and not being compared to everybody else in the class that you know was great and and you know finding finding different ways that you can learn has also been very you know creative for them so it's it's kind of a mixed balance we also work with them um, teenagers as well and I think that they've struggled quite a lot you know not yeah. being able to see friends and having to rely on social media that the whole time yeah I think um the people I've spoken to uh, from school wise I think there's probably been and I'm, I'm just generalizing on on people that I talk to there's probably been more of a um more of a struggle from a, a secondary age I think for the reasons you probably say because they're generally out out with friends a lot more aren't they than, than primary age pupils generally but that obviously doesn't take into account the people whose home life isn't isn't quite what it needs to be but yeah I think it's um on the the anxiety thing you know i think not just young people but i you know i think adults as well it's it, it, it's had a huge impact on hasn't it and like you said i remember at the very start of this me and my my wife you know we you kind of we try to really tell ourselves try not we we'll try not to talk about things in front of the children because like you say they just remember it it's incredible even our three-year-old the stuff that she remembers is much much more than me to be honest <laughs> um, <laughs> genuinely um, so yeah, we, we, we had to sort of stop talking about kind of COVID related stuff because especially once we then knew that our son was going to go back into school because he was in reception, we, you know, it's so much for them to absorb. You can't, you can't do this, but you can go to school. So yeah, it's, um, I think at the same time, children are so adaptable, aren't they? And like, um, they constantly amaze me how, how quick they can just kind of like settle into things. And, and I think sometimes the, in my experience, problems people I talk to kind of sometimes the the way that we deal with things as adults that just spills over onto young people, doesn't it? And and then that's where their anxieties come almost from how we behave. Oh, definitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I okay, think so as parents, we 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 need to uh, parents and teach any any grown ups really. We need to really think about what what we say and how we say it because one simple little um sentence but with a certain tone can can change a child's thought process and you know go from feeling quite calm to being very defensive it's amazing how quickly our fight and flight um really sets in and and when, especially when a child understands fight and flight they you you really have an, an opening up of conversation um, because you can say, is your brain becoming defensive here? And they, and they, and they recognize, you literally just kind of put your fists up, you know, and, and they know that they are reacting to something you've said and you've, you've got, you've got a, a process that you can work with rather than just saying to a child, oh, you're angry, you're, you're emotional, you know, 
what what is are, are you getting into fight and flight is your body getting ready to to run away or to 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 fight whatever i've said mm. um and i think this is just you know the way that we speak to children is is so vitally important yeah. in, in you know creating their thoughts i completely agree so going on to on to best then so a kind of um can you give a bit of a, an example of a, a typical day or a typical week in in terms of what you what you offer or what you deliver? So when it's when it's uh, when we're in schools, so um, uh, not in pandemic time, um, we go into schools before school and after school, and we teach we teach we do before school clubs and after school clubs. So that's at the beginning and the end of the day, and those are usually an hour and fifteen minutes long and consist of a game talk drama art so that's the, the and they and, the, and we have a a 10 11 week program so our program that we were going to do um might be on responsibility or creating the, the finding the hero inside ourselves you know all about self-esteem yeah. that kind of thing um and then in the day uh we do interventions um at uh, different schools so those are for, for much smaller groups. Our, our clubs usually go up to 20 children. Um, the smaller groups tend to be um, up to six children per group. And a school will uh, ask us to teach these children, the, the, you know, they need these, these skills being taught to them. So they will say to us, but the, the, the B in best stands for bespoke. So a school can come to us and say, I have a group of children who are finding it, you know, they, they, they're very challenged on friendships or, you know, they, they might have an issue with bullying or things like that. So they'll say, and then we'll teach a program for six weeks or 11 weeks. Fantastic. Okay, so how, um, I've been kind of going back on myself a little bit here, but how, how was best created i don't think we, i think we jumped straight into a great conversation but how was how was best created what um where were you two before best and what kind of brought you together to create best so well i, I was working um I, I was running the interventions so um i used to be a painter in uh, before my children um many moons ago and uh, then became very interested when my children were at primary school, um, for one way or the other, became interested in dyslexia and um, did a two year course on how to teach children um, how to learn differently um, using my art and painting. <coughs> so Vicky and I knew each other. Um, right, Vicky, you, you say, <laughs> Oh, yeah, we met. So, um, so my background was I um, have always loved sports. So when my children were very young um, and through school, I, I ran my own business as a, a personal trainer. Um, I also volunteered at a school where um, children went who had been excluded from mainstream school. And I volunteered teaching them sport um, at the at the, uh, the school where they were where they were going. Um, and Julia and I, both of our, um, we had children in, uh, when they were in reception, um, we met while our children were in reception, they're in year 13 now, um, and, and started to work together doing quite a lot of stuff at, the, at our, our children's primary school, just different things, you know, PTAs. So that's, that's where we, we set up a, a netball um, 
team and and started coaching because we felt that there wasn't the um the sport that was needed <laughs> so we jumped in and uh, and became coaches but that's where we started to see the difference in how children were um reacting within a class and then out on a court and then I'd say it was one particular child that I was working with um who was coming to me and I taught him how to to read because I also was trained in reading recovery and I taught him how to read from reception in year one and he was in year one or year two uh and he spent he came to me in the morning uh and he'd spent the evening before cycling scootering round a part of London um very late at night with the carer who was looking after him look um looking for a relative so he was he was out late at night on a scooter yeah. uh came to me all fired up adrenaline um and I just thought this you know what what more can we do I can teach you to read but I can't give you uh, you know what what else can I give to, to make this better and um we started to talk Vicky and I started to talk about you know behavior and development and and what what we could do uh on our white horses and chargers and um we 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 just wanted to do and to do something so we we put our heads together and and said right we we and researched and said right you're going to be the sporty one and I'm going to be the creative one and we are going to learn how to to bring different skills to help equip these children so that when as they grow older they they've they've got more uh and so we yeah that was then became years of, of kind of just learning and researching and working alongside children and learning from that and i think we've seen i don't know two three thousand children over the last six years we've learned so much from them we've learned so much about, about sort of you know getting off our horses and going, do you know what, we, we, it, it's not that, it's small steps, it's just giving, it might be one tiny little skill, little something, strategy that a child has learned from us that will help them later on. Yeah, um, I um, I kind of share what the, you've referred to the kind of white horses a, a few times, I think. I kind of... Um, start I said to you at the beginning I started this podcast because I spoke to so many people um really interestingly nothing to do with recruitment which is normally what I talk to people in schools about and I, I wish I could have bottled some of those conversations up and had them from from March to September um because they were they were great and they were nothing to do with recruitment they were just about what was going on and um what they were trying to do and what they were trying to achieve and that's I, I kind of feel it in a bit like that at the minute myself that I'm, I'm creating this part I'm really hoping that some real positive stuff comes from it now whether that's um someone listening to you guys and thinking actually what they're doing is great let's let's take some of that and put it where we are somewhere else in the country or whatever it is or someone listening goes actually we could really do with that in our school then then, then great but I think I think things are changing so much about um the work that's going into preventing um preventing real spikes in behavior preventing exclusions i think things are changing personally from the people i deal with day to day i do think there's changes i think 
there's some amazing people setting up businesses like yourselves setting up alternative education settings that that are just like absolutely inspirational and and i kind of get really absorbed in it and really do hope that that more more keeps happening and more keeps changing but obviously there's there's still a long way to go but i do think there's a real real positive shift in in particular when i um a couple of years ago you know there was so much talk around um social emotional mental health whereas now the shift is so much about understanding why that young person is in that situation and exactly what you're talking about building those blocks and that for me is really exciting and like I think as adults we all need to kind of remember that yes we're we're trying to educate young people and make a difference but equally we we can learn from them like equally about things going on can't we and that for me is really interesting I think there's a I think there's a real shift in that and like the last eight months have been pretty awful for a lot of people but I think personally taking some positives away from it I do think there's been a real shift in people's mindset about about sharing conversations like this I do think there was people before COVID if you'd have if I'd have started this and said do you want to come on and have a chat people were quite closed and and thinking actually what we're doing is quite unique and quite private I don't really want to talk about it openly as much not because they're hiding things just because people are quite closed and quite kind of private um that 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 for me is a positive that I'm trying to take from the last eight months for sure but if there's um moving forward then for 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 you to for for the business for what you're trying to achieve what would you like to kind of put out there in terms of the kind of challenges you face to kind of deliver what you're trying to deliver or just things that you'd like to to change is there anything in particular that kind of jumps out at you um i think that um we our, our program is for all children you know it doesn't matter what background they have um it's for all children because all children struggle with with a lot of things whether it's because of a home life or or, or whatever but it, it is for all children and what we want to do is to try and reach as many children as possible. Um, so whether that's going into more schools, whether it's um, schools accessing our programs online, um, being able to go into more schools and teach smaller groups of children who perhaps need a little bit extra. That, that, that's what we want to do. We want to kind of get our message out to as, as many children as possible, because as Julia says, you know, a child could take away just one very small strategy that might would really help them, you know, five years down the line, 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line. And because early intervention of teaching social and emotional life skills reduces the risk of getting mental health issues, but literally it's phenomenal. It's something like, you know, 87% less risk of getting mental health issues if you've had early intervention of social and emotional life skills at a young age and that, that's you know we just want to try and inspire a world that it makes every child feel they can go out and become you know the best that they can be I think that's true I think I mean I hope it comes across we love what we do we're very yeah. passionate about what we do um and, and as Vicky said, and I think I said before, but it, it is for every child um, because, um, and what we want is mental health and emotional health to be 
talked about, and, and you're right, it is becoming more talked about, um, but people still shy away from the, the word when you say mental health and think that it is something bad, and it's not. It's the same. We, we talk about physical health, yeah. and we have PE in every school in every country, and yet where is the mental health? Um, and so what, what we want to do is just, you know, we want schools just to recognise that you don't need to have um, big um, programmes and workshops. You, you, you need to just build on these little skills. Uh, and if, if every child was to build on these skills and have, you know, resilience and talk about anxiety, talk about how they feel, talk about managing their emotions, and it becomes everyday chit-chat within a classroom, they wouldn't be so so worried about it when when it when something does happen and we we you know i've had parents that come to me and say oh my child's perfect they don't they don't need those they don't need social social skills or emotional skills and and you think well they might be managing great now but what happens when they have their first relationship breakup you know uh, or they they are working really hard at school and getting the grades but they don't get the university that they want you know what what happens so to give them those skills from like age three from from your child upwards to to just have those little building blocks that's that's i think what we want that every child yeah interesting about and i know you've touched on it before about um about the building the blocks which i think completely agree with and i think it's really important but interestingly something and i'm trying to kind of word this in the right way that um some people would say oh yeah my, my, my children are fine they don't need that support and blah 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 but uh, actually I've seen it in previous positions when I've when I've interviewed people who may have um, on the face of it done really well at school gone to university but you can maybe tell that they don't have as much um, emotional resilience or or kind of because maybe they haven't I'm not saying I'm not saying that everybody needs to go through rejection and to be really in a in a negative place to be a, a strong character. I'm not saying that at all. I think what I'm trying to say is I, exactly the same as you. I think much more needs to be done about preparing people for every type of emotion, positive and negative, like rejection and, and all that sort of stuff. Because even as an adult, rejection's hard to hard to take on things, isn't it? You know, it, it is, um, and, and they're and they're obstacles. And and we just you know building up that confidence or or the strategies to okay, I, I, you know, how am I gonna how am I gonna get over this? How am I gonna come back from it? Uh, resilience. I've got to pick myself up. And mm. some things are very you know tragic and, and awful and it's not you can't just pick yourself up yeah. from them you need to go out and you yeah. need professional help that's that's not where we're coming we're coming from but we're, we're talking about those we talk about building blocks all the time we have 18 of them that we've that we work with um and your first six are, are, are the basic ones that build up the ideas of your uh, you know what happens in your brain and then you've got your second lot of building blocks which are about your confidence and your friendships and then your third ones um which is all about um again resilience and growth mindset so all these all these skills you just kind of build on and and it gives you those strategies for you know we we all do stumble i stumble absolutely. a lot <laughs> absolutely yeah. um, i uh I, I do like a, a kind of motivational video and i think it's um Denzel, was it Denzel Washington or, or someone he taught you and he 
he phrases it of um, don't be scared of falling, but when it, when he falls, he falls forwards, not back. And that's something that sticks in my mind. And I think I've, I've learned so much more from things that have failed, <laughs> things that have not quite gone to plan than things that go successfully. Struggle to think of things that are completely successful from day one. But, you know, I well, think we've... the last we've, eight months, we've, <laughs> we've, yeah, we've exactly. come through more resilience than, um, yeah, you know, exactly. we've, had to, we've had to be very creative. You know, we can't go into schools. How do we get <laughs> our message out? How do we keep in contact with the children? So we, we've been doing Zoom clubs. We've created these activity boxes, um, which our Christmas one is going out now. And that's to, um, and that focuses on Rudolph the Resilient Reindeer. Um, and it's got, it, it's like best club in a box. Um, but it, it is, I think everyone who, who runs a business is, is having to go, okay, so how, how do we, this is an obstacle. How are we going to get around it? Either I just give up and, and you know, or, or I've got to think of something else. And, and we've been constantly thinking of, of different things. We teach the children, David, um, fail is actually first attempt in learning. And, yeah. um, and, and I know that I use that a lot. <laughs> well, we use that a lot. <laughs> we've yeah, we've got more than first attempt now. <laughs> we've had to use it quite a lot these last eight months. But yeah, it, it just... It just makes fail seem such a negative word. And so, so to say it's first attempt in learning. I think, you know, when, when I think when anybody and those of us who are doing any kind of business, but when you hear some positive kind of feedback, um, it just gives you that oomph to keep on, mm. on going. And if you think about that as an adult, then any child that is feeling you know, anxious or worried or low self-esteem, any positive on praise on how they've actually achieved something, not just that they've been good at something, you know, children don't need to hear that they've been, they're good at something. They want to, they need to hear how well they've achieved that, how, you know, what, what has made them able to achieve it. Yeah, um, and that, that builds their confidence. And you think about us, you know, when somebody says, oh, <laughs> You know, I love the fact that you've been uh, creating these, you know, boxes that you've put your idea into the, you know, that you've, you've, you found a different way, you know, you kind of go, okay, you know, that that's a plus, we can keep on doing this, we can keep on finding different ways to reach children. Yeah, uh, you know. I can, um, I can kind of relate to that. Again, starting this podcast, I kind of, I really wanted to kind of try and give give something back but I've had a a couple of really positive messages recently about people saying they've they've enjoyed it and that kind of has really made me think you know what this is like got some kind of real real legs to make a yeah make it make a bit of a difference and it sounds like some people I'm sure will look at things and you know say why why are you doing it why why are you doing that and not just focusing on your, your your business I suppose but like I'm a massive believer in like doing things that you you enjoy and, and actually I I learned so the last eight months I can probably say that I've learned more about my sector the last eight months in the years before generally because I've had different conversations I've I've had conversations with people much more about things away from recruitment 
which isn't the most exciting conversation to people half the time. So, you know, I've, I've learned so much more. And like I said, I think I touched on it before. I'm looking at positives. I think people have become much more open to share and, and kind of, I think we all need to em- embrace that and, and take, you know, a lot of stuff isn't relevant to us personally, but I think we can take little bits of everyone else's kind of daily lives, their, their experiences and put it into our own. And, and just that can only make, make more of a positive change so um i can you you can tell how much you both clearly have a genuine passion of, of what you're doing and i generally wish you kind of both nothing but the the best for the future and i, I do hope that um schools uh, local authorities parents whoever it might be just have a look at your have a look at what you offer and, and get in touch and just kind of yeah help help deliver what you guys want to deliver really so yeah congratulate you both for what you're doing keep up the good work and hope things hope things work out all all good thank you thank you very much david thank you thank you